Hello, I'm Lindley Gooden. Welcome to Market Force Live's podcast, Optimizing Asset Management for the Utilities of the Future, hosted in association with OpenText. Now, the UK utilities industry is facing serious disruption in an increasingly challenging global market. Traditionally, as electricity, water and gas networks, the industry has played a passive role, responsible chiefly for delivering a safe and reliable service. But new technologies and increased regulatory pressure, as well as ever probing questions from customers, have transformed the roles that utilities providers play in our lives. Right now, your business needs to be smart to succeed. And all of that throws up some pretty big questions. How can you streamline successfully to improve operations and asset management while cutting costs? And while that's going on, how can we also become really excellent at improving customer experience? Well, whatever your corner of the industry, you'll face these questions and more because it's safe to say that utilities businesses now are operating right at the sharp end. So let's meet the people who'll be helping us to unlock the strategies that can take us successfully to our next chapter. First of all, from Thames Water, we have Tony McCandless. Hello, Tony. Hi, Linda. Great to have you with us. Tony is the CIO for Thames Water. And since joining the company in 2017, he's overseen the restructure of the IT partnership frameworks and insourced a significant part of the service delivery organisation. He's building new programme delivery and development teams and has put in place a modern platform structure for the digital team to help to deliver Thames Water's critical services to 25% of the UK population in London and the greater Thames Valley area. Great to have you with us today. Thank you. Next up, we have from our partner, OpenText, Kirsty Lowe. Hello, Kirsty. Hello, Lindley. Great Hi. to have you with us too. Uh, Kirsty is currently responsible for OpenText's energy and engineering consulting practice across EMEA. Uh, she's worked in the energy and engineering industry for over 17 years. Along the way, gathering a wealth of specialist knowledge from extensive on-site experience for multiple global energy clients and oil and gas operational assets. Kirsty is a member of the Global Energy and Engineering Management Team, which defines OpenText's industry solutions and roadmap strategy. Great to have you with us too. Thank you. Okay, well, let's get started. Here's how it works. We'll go through three sections covering three of the big issues, packed full, hopefully, of insights and ideas, some of which we hope you can take back to your business too. First up is operational excellence. What does it really mean in the industry right now? And how do you go about reaching that standard? Well, Kirsty, kick us off. What do you think are the key elements to get right to be operationally Excellent. So I think in our experience working with clients in utilities, but the industry uh, sector as well, the focus is very much around the delivery of true operational excellence. Okay, so where we look at this is around controlling information. So without control of your information, so your data, your content, your services, the people interaction of that information, true operational efficiency and the journey to that digital twin, for example, just isn't simple. Um, So maintaining that accurate, complete, synchronised digital asset, you know, in in key systems of record can have that direct impact on operational performance, integrity, reducing environmental and health and safety type elements as well as regulatory compliance. Yeah, so controlling information, Tony, I mean, that's got to be certainly number one on the shopping list. Yeah, it's it's at the heart of everything that you do, because um, if you don't have information, you don't have accurate data then you're going to end up, you know, sending someone to an incident two, three times with 
just the wrong things to fix it for customers. Um, but other other aspects of this are definitely around the the people side of it. Um, you've you've got to make people want to to deliver service excellence. You know, it really is people, process, technology, data's in the middle of it. Do you think that some um, people in the organisation share the same, you know, view of what operational excellence is? I guess you know you can get uh, bottlenecked into your own way of working, your own. Uh, jobs ahead. So how important is it to share that view? So I think um, there's things that you can look at in companies. And certainly one of the the really fascinating things about Thames is that there's a massive pride runs through Thames Water employees. They are all really proud to work for the company. There are undoubtedly things that Thames has been through numerous hands of ownership, etc. But that, that kind of you know, be blue, be proud is right at the centre of it. So people do want to do a good job. And I think our role as technologists is to actually give them the tools to Mm -hmm. do it. We will certainly go into uh, things like asset management and we'll talk about how the information is used during this podcast in the next uh, 25 minutes or so. Um, But let's just talk about the areas that can be comfortably streamlined. Not always comfortable conversation to have, but which areas do you think can be looked at? So I I think, as um, was said earlier by Kirsty. If, if we can get the data right and we can enable the guys out there in the vans to know potentially what they need to do to fix it and give them the insight right in front of them, it, it just makes their jobs easier. It, it makes it easier to explain to our customers that if there's interruption to supply, what went wrong. Sometimes they want to know that and then they want to know when it will come back. Kirsty, there must be common themes in terms of areas to streamline and the arguments that go with that, because as Tony says, you know, actually it can make my job a bit easier. Absolutely. And I think one of the key barriers in in any organisation is that information silo. So, you know, that's either created organically over time or through acquisition, through people changing, obviously, in the organisation and leaving information or taking it with them. So there's a lot of sort of silos of information and, and it's it's then quite hard to kind of manage that information. So, you know, a lot of the organisations we work with know that the key to achieving that efficiency is really to exploit all that available information and break down those barriers. So it's not just you know, having that information, it's also what you do with it and the processes that you follow. Handing over into operations and looking around building information modelling and how can that information be transferred over time so it's not lost, it's not, you know, once you get into the operational side of things and Tony's guides go out in their high-vis with the wrong documents, you know, how do we transfer information that's stored from that project's phase into operations and maintain it effectively and efficiently? A lot of agreement there, Tony. Yeah, I I agree. I think, you know, the the truth is always at the front line. If you really want to know what what you can do to help deliver customer service, customers and the people that go and serve them. But when you talk about data, we've got a little example to throw in here. There's massive, massive amounts of data contained in utilities. And at the weekend past, um, we, we have a challenge with one of our systems and we archived 10 years of data out of the system that has been running for 30 years. And we archived 176 million records. Mm-hmm. I mean, people have no concept about the amount of information and data that is stored mm-hmm. around something like a utility. Yeah. Are there particular challenges uh, in utilities? And you can only talk from your experience, Tony, but you know, this is a business, a mature business, where people have been working at the business for 30 years or they've been working there for 
10 minutes and they're enthusiastic and they're they're brand new and they're fresh you know how do you make that work because actually the the people getting them to adopt the information share the information break down those silos that ain't easy no it isn't and you're right we actually have multi-generational families in thames war and, and it's astounding you know i've lost count of the number of marriages that have taken place between thames war employees and goodness knows. It, it, it just has that that feel to it and some people may choose to look at it and say well there's a negative you know there's a public sector mentality it isn't the case. People really do want to do something. But to your point, is it's how do you unlock that, that pride, but also how do you get the information out of the people? And you have to systemize it. And we, we have initiatives um, such as Leave a Legacy, where we are looking at the people that have been there 20, 30, 40 years and saying to them, can you help us pass on? All of this stuff that you just know, how do I capture that? How do I systemise it? How do I help the people at the front line? Can I ask, how do you do that? Um, some of it is absolutely about getting the stuff in a repository that they can use. And if we look at one example, a couple of weeks ago, one of my guys, Andy Cross, um, he's head of collaboration and just a great guy. If you want to know how to do something on a collaboration tool, go and see Andy. And he was out with one of the guys on site who said, I do this, I then go away, I fill in this four-page form, and 30 minutes later, Andy had taken his mobile phone out, created an online form, and said, would that make your life easier? And it's little things like that. The data goes back to the same place. We're probably going to get more accurate information and data back, which goes to Kirsty's point about if you can clean the data up and make it accurate and pass it through that cycle then it's more useful for someone else that's going out there to do something. If you look to an organisation and what organisations are doing now to be more efficient is operating in a way that has a culture of sharing information. So unlocking that information, not squirrelling it away and not keeping it to themselves mm. on their own separate filing system. It's literally about sharing that information and helping others to be able to find it. Well, let's uh, move on now to the question of how to unlock cost savings by the way of data. We talked about streamlining. Let's talk about the, the cold, hard cost. Utilities now have access to such a wide volume and variety of data, from consumer meter data to feedback from sensors installed in the field. But raw data alone isn't very much use in itself, is it? It's the insights from that data applied to the business, applied to how customers want it to serve them, that translates to what we do next. So how can data drive uh, cost savings that don't damage, obviously, our products and services, those cost savings? Tony, first of all, you know what are the big barriers to turning data into information, good insight? Is it, first of all, a lack of investment. That's the problem. I don't think it is a lack of investment. I mean, you just need to watch things like Super Sewer and everything else to see the scale of investment that not just Thames Water, but other utilities have to make. In terms of looking at the kind of investments that give you more efficiency, greater bang for the buck, start with the customer. You know, what is what works for the customer and what doesn't? And, you know, we're just coming to the end of um, a migration program that is trying to give us a 360-degree view of the customer so that when you phone up as a Thames customer, you're not a stranger to us. We know when you've interacted with us before. We know, you know, what scheme that you're on, how you pay, what problems you may have had previously. So that really is migrating us from old data systems onto new ones and it's take the customer perspective and at the same time you know we are recreating our website journeys 
And if we look at one that we put on a couple of weeks ago, when we analysed what we had, about 28% of customers were finishing the journey on the website. When we put the new approach in and talked to customers about that, 68% of them are finishing the journey on the website. And if you think of that, that's 40% of customers that wanted to do something that will not now necessarily put a call into our contact centre. They can get served there and then, feel better about it, and we have to take less contacts. Also, from a, an external perspective, it really changes from a customer, the customer view of Thames Water, and also the talent for the future. So if you're thinking about recruiting people, their experience to go to Thames Water will be what they see day to day. So you need to attract talent. Um, every organisation does. So to have those processes in place and have that two-way feedback is really critical. So it's impressive. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and, and actually a, a nice story as well. It's good to hear that. Now, it takes time to filter through to customers, but but the fact is, as long as they understand, as long as we understand that that's what's going on and the reasons why, that's a, that's got to be a good thing. So there's, there's that communication piece, which is, is obviously important as well. Yeah, it, it is, and I think um, certainly Thames has put a lot of effort in. I mean, you know, let, let's be honest about it. it. It had a fairly poor rep, and I think a lot of work has gone in to try and repair that reputation and a lot of engagement out with our customers, with our interest groups. And also the environmental responsibility is incredibly important to us as well. So, you know, we don't make these things up in order that someone likes us. This is kind of how we are. We really want to deliver these things well. Well, it has to be absolutely more than a PR exercise. Otherwise, things don't work any better than they yeah. used to. So it's got to be that yeah. way. And everybody in the company needs to know that as well, which is great. And Kirsty, what are the biggest blind spots or missed opportunities, do you think, in terms of how the industry so far has used or made use good use of data? Mm-hmm. So I think it really is about uh, consolidating, again, migrating, integrating and and automating that information. So that hasn't happened in the past. I mean, it probably wasn't definitely possible hasn't. necessarily in the past. Yeah, yeah, definitely hasn't happened in the past uh, to the point of really being able to automate and, and step up. So if you look at the maturity curve of organisations, when it comes to information, everyone's got information they have for decades. Mm. It's really what do you do with it? How do you make that information work for them? What processes do you follow? Um, and how can it make your organisation more efficient? Tony, you've just got rid of 10 years of hard-earned data. Yes, we have. Uh, First of all, it must feel good. It does. (laughs) But, uh, you know, that's an example, I guess, of how until now it's been very difficult to take yourself away from the daily operations and get that data into its right place in the archive somewhere. You know, where's the industry gone wrong or perhaps just not been able to go right until now? So I think think it's interesting because Kirsty's background in oil and gas and we all spend a lot of time probably in our own industry silos, and people say utilities, and they couldn't be more different. You know, oil and gas is different from energy, which is different from water, but there are undoubtedly lessons from oil and gas that are hugely pertinent in the water industry. And, you know, I'll give you an example. Um, I've worked in oil and gas previously and seen how difficult it is to get a part out onto a rig in the North Sea. And I saw one piece of kit go out there, quarter of a million pounds, Um, It landed on the rig. They went downstairs and found out that the one they thought they had was actually there. Chopper time, cost of the part, efficiency and maintenance. And you look at the the oil and gas industry today, 
and it's far far more efficient, far more effective. A lot of technology has enabled that with being able to do visual inspection or maintenance and all those technologies. So I think there's a huge opportunity ahead for us. We already have some amazing technologies in water when you look at super sewer and all of the pipe replacements, but there's probably more that we can be doing. And that is where I think Thames Water is certainly aiming to go in the next asset management period and the next five years. The oil and gas have stepped up in the last sort of five to ten years. They've really made a tremendous change in their maturity of, of, of handling information. And you look to how they operate and maintain assets. They're much further on that journey of the digital twin um, where they don't have to send anyone else off-site onto the asset. They can uh, manage it all remotely. Um, that's come so far in the last 10 years mm. um, whilst it's slightly different for water the, the same sort of technology goes the whole um, need to maybe use robotics or yeah. machine learning type capability to be able to really manage the asset and look at maintenance and be much more proactive and predictive than reactive yeah. so you're talking planning you're talking um, you're actually talking less of a physical approach to what you do in some ways but much more of a planned uh, using AI using different technologies that can allow you to predict that's where perhaps we should be yeah. going as an industry. And, and that for us is certainly a massive focus right now. Technology can help you learn about how your network operates and try and get to a calm network. And then, as you're saying, Lindley, to, to get to a point where some machine learning predictive analytics can say to you, if this keeps going, you're probably going to have a burst down there or you're going to have a, a sewage incident there. Get on it before it happens. It should bear great fruit for, for everyone and particularly for the customer. Let's, um, because we're looking to the future, that's really exciting. Let's just talk about legacy systems for a second. You know, how much of a, a problem are they? That can be a short answer. But, you know, how can you start to justify investment to bring in new technologies as we're talking about? So, Kirsty, what do you think about that? How big a barrier and how can you justify that investment? Sure. I mean, they... They are. They do pose a barrier, right? Um, but they can become an advantage as well if they're managed correctly. You know that they've been in place for a long time and they've got a lot of really important information in there. Even in archiving ten years of yeah. information, it's archiving. It's not deleting, right? You need that information because you never know when you need to go refer back to it. So again, it's coming back to help organisations really in that process of sort of consolidating and really cleansing that information and knowing what they've got in order to be able to sort of in, interrogate it. Um, How rigorous do you have to be in that interrogation? I mean, do you, do you have to be really, really hard on your process? Not necessarily, right? Um, again, it depends how much time you have, right? A lot of the time, that's a really time and costly process to really interrogate that. So now the technologies, if you're looking at investing, that's a really good place to start thinking about using um, technology that can help that process for you. You don't have to manually go through decades of data. So you're talking screen scraping, you're talking about you know getting getting good, simple information out that you can then apply in practically. That's what you're looking at, is it, Tony? Yeah, I think so. And, and if you know, we look back to the programme that we're doing, a big migration, we that brings us the opportunity to cleanse our customer data. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing. The reality, though, is that we also have asset data, we have property data, we have meter data, and it's how you design all this stuff and, and it comes together. But as Kirsty says, a CIO that does not deal with legacy systems either is living in a fancy land or works for some company that I've never heard of. Mm. Because the reality is we're, 
generally on triple platforms of probably a mainframe, mid-range, distributed systems. And these things are not the enemy. You know, if you get a well-run mainframe and mid-range set of systems, they are really, really reliable, less prone to attack. And, you know, you can centre around them. So there's some people that maybe think that going dot everything and throw everything into the cloud, which is just someone else's data centre. So you're actually trusting in their architects to do that for you without really knowing what's below the covers. doesn't work that well. Well, we haven't even got onto uh, security, cyber, all those yeah. things, but they are fundamentally important for any utility company, Absolutely. water, uh, you know, electricity, everybody to, to, to be ready for that stuff. So it's mm-hmm. essential to get that data yeah. safe, secure, and also sifted so that you have that inside available. Um, but let's briefly, um, before we move on to looking at you know, the nitty-gritty of asset management, um, inspiration. Who inspires you in terms of the way they use data and why? In brief, Kirsty, who, who do you like in terms of the way they use their data? Sure. So, um, as mentioned, I work a lot in the oil and gas space as, as well as uh, the, the, the water and energy space. Um, one organisation in particular has gone on a really exciting journey um, and I love working with them. They are very much focused around data liberation and they and the CEO stands up and he talks about data liberation front. Um, they're an EMP company um, and they believe that that digitization has the ability to transform the industry and it really is and they are uh, a f- fairly newly formed organization but come from three mergers of very old organizations so they've got the challenge of a new culture of a company trying to do something different but the the added challenge of having a lot of information and uh, older assets out there so they need to kind of pull that information together Um, so they're really looking at pulling a platform of data together in order to be able to look to machine learning to look to artificial intelligence to be able to automate their operations so they're a really exciting organization to work with one that comes to mind was they had a bank but also um, part of a a very well-known um supermarket and when they blended the two of them together what they actually wanted to do in their use of that data from your supermarket habits to the financial services that you would require were quite amazing and and the journey they needed to go on to work out just what those trends were and that is it's a pure sales thing and i know there's a lot of people in society that are concerned about that sort of thing and we should be Um, Data should be used for good, not necessarily for bad. But, yeah, there's some really admirable approaches that that you can take. Okay, well, next we'll move on to our last but not least third section, the potential of new technologies to transform asset management. So let's talk about the thorny but very important issue of asset management. How can the industry revolutionise its approach to asset management and move from a slightly passive to a very, very active, more predictive strategy? First of all, do we think asset management's going to go through a, a tech revolution? Is that, I mean, we've talked about it, I guess it's coming, but are we there yet, Kirsty? I think it already is. Uh, you know, you look at all the customers and they're wanting to be proactive in asset management. I think if you look into the costs, uh, you know, that's really where the costs lie for an organisation. So being able to save money in that respect can can really help. The focus is much more around, you know, being predictive and proactive in the maintenance, you know, 
looking at things like drone technologies to, to be able to just daily go out and, and, and take mm. a view of a certain area and bring that information back without having to so schedule that in. So we're seeing a lot of organisations um, looking into those types of new technologies to be able to be much more proactive. That's what we as customers want, so we have to respond. I mean, there's no, there's no doubt. But I suppose actually one of those big questions is, is we haven't answered is where are the costs, the unnecessary costs going? Um, because only by identifying those can you narrow them down and start to be more efficient. So what do you think, Tony? Yeah, I think, I think there's a real mix here. <clears throat> when we look at assets and utilities, um, and again, go back to all the gas as an analogy, some of the assets out there are now in their third, fourth, fifth owner. And the reason is that the first one thought they'd get the maximum out of it, sell it on so some other poor sucker can can go do something different with it because they make less profit. Our, our problem, I think, is somewhat different in that we have, certainly in our OT estate, which is a huge, huge asset base, some of these things are 30, 40 years old. And people might recoil in horror, but they are incredibly mechanical they're incredibly reliable. And then to come to the point of saying, right, when do we actually need to renew them? Because if there's a massive cost pressure on, then people are trying to make things happen for the budget they have. And it's just when do you go out there and go and refresh these assets? And when you do refresh them, there's kind of interesting quirk. And Linda, you, you mentioned cyber. Um, a lot of the 30, 40-year-old assets are incapable of being hacked. You know, they are so old that it's just impossible. Whereas when you go out there with new technologies, of course it's going to be connected to something. Mm. And therefore, the amount of effort you need to make sure that your cyber security around that asset in and of itself, because God forbid someone get into, you know, a water factory or a sewage works and take control and then do things that are absolutely horrific to even think about. I suppose the question is, though, isn't it, you know, um, if you're talking about asset management and how to improve it, then you mentioned five-kilometre gaps between, you know, sensors. What would I do if I had the money? I'd probably put more sensors in. Yeah. You know, uh, and that's difficult if they have to be digital. Yeah. So it's difficult. Absolutely. And, and the other thing about that is that we obviously have quite a bit of data already. And when we do do things like, you know, you can get to intelligent drain covers. We have some of. There, there's so many other options that, that we can now pursue. Those things, though, need to be cost effective. Mm. So we can't go out there spending, you know, £100 a time on a drain cover um, because that just isn't something that is economically viable for us. So what technologies do you think uh, have the greatest potential, you know, right now? So I mean, right now, we, we've got some great examples of stuff that we are using um, and investing in our data platforms and getting the analytics tools around data is allowing us to do real an exploration of how healthy, how calm is the network just with the data that we do have from, from the sensors that we do have. And we're now able to see where demand is, um, where the supply against demand is as well. We're beginning to be able to see in our district meters where leakage is occurring. And if we can get that down to really localised information and data, that just massively helps us go after, which obviously is a headline thing about leakage, um, but leakage costs money. So if, if we can get these things done and our team, um, our data team is stunningly good 
and they're now beginning to make that difference for us. How about things like AI, machine learning? What, what applications do you favour or you see being used? So, yeah, I think AI um, and really looking towards the sort of future around sort of machine learning. We're doing a lot with organisations around real-time data analytics as well and looking into data mining, for example, and really making that, again, making that information work for them so that you are spending the time and efficiency analysing the right thing rather than everything. And I think an interesting journey for you as well is engaging and educating us as consumers, right? That's got to help the supply and demand in terms of you know, helping us understand that we don't have to run the the, the, the um, tap when we're cleaning our mm-hmm. teeth the whole time to reduce yep. that 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 supply, but also contact you when you see a little leak or you know a lot mm-hmm. of the time it's there's probably yeah. things that we as consumers can do that can help your supply and demand process and therefore give us a better service at the end of the day yeah. everyone has sort of a digital strategy or is working towards that that strategy but it's really taking that moment to say am i am i going in the right direction have i got the right people engaged and that's internally as well as externally uh, to the customers as well so it's it's really looking at that journey from start to end and making sure regular checkpoints are in place to to make sure cuz directions change technologies change people change and and requirements change well that's all that we have time for i do hope that you've enjoyed the discussion that you found tony and Kirsty's insights useful practical handy and picked up some really good ideas that will inspire operational excellence where you are uh, if you'd like to hear more simply google future of utilities to find a wealth of content on the latest industry insights not least our future of utilities report you can also check out our events page to see the range of hotly anticipated events and webinars that run throughout the year uh, do also go to opentext.com to see how the world's leading companies are embracing innovation. Well, it only remains to say a big thank you to Tony and to Kirsty for joining us today and to Opentext for making the podcast possible. For now, thanks very much for listening and we hope you can join us again for the next Market Force Live podcast. Bye for now. All the best. Take care.